Hi, this is Jenny Nash, founder and CEO of Author Accelerator. During the pandemic, there was an explosion of people who wanted to write memoir, and many of those writers are now struggling to make sense of their drafts and figure out how to approach the marketplace. It's a great time to be a book coach who specializes in memoir, and in March 2024, Author Accelerator is launching a certification course to give memoir coaches the skills, tools, and experience to meet writers where they are. Our year-long program is robust and intense. I'm inviting any listeners of this show who are interested in our coaching program to sign up for a one-on-one session with me to strategize about whether or not this course is right for you. Just go to bookcoaches.com backslash amwriting to sign up for a time that works for you. That's bookcoaches.com backslash amwriting. I look forward to chatting with you. Is it recording? Now it's recording. Yay. Go ahead. This is the part where I stare blankly at the microphone and try to remember what I'm supposed to be doing. All right, let's start over. Awkward pause. I'm going to wrestle some papers. Okay. Now one, two, three. Okay. Hey, I'm KJ Delantonia, and this is Hashtag Am Writing, the weekly podcast about writing all the things. Short things, long things, pitches, proposals. This is the podcast about getting the work done. And I'm just thinking to myself, since I don't do the intro every week, I wonder what other people say. I will, I will, um, I've been meaning to give a listen to some of your recent episodes, kids. So, um, I, I will have to, to do that. So I know what you say. Anyway. Um, carry on. Who's with me today? Hello, hello. I am here today. I'm Jenny Nash. I'm the founder and CEO of Author Accelerator, the author of 12 books in three genres, and the newest co-host of the Hashtag Amrani podcast. And I'm Serena Bowen. I'm the author of various contemporary romance and suspense books, including The Five-Year Lie, which is coming out in May. And KJ you wrote me an intro, so every time I do an episode, I just read exactly what you wrote me. It's not oh, that mysterious. Oh, good for me. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm so clever. Um, and I have listened. I just haven't... I think of it as listening to a whole different podcast. I think, oh, I'm such a genius. I've created a podcast I want to listen to by releasing this to, to Jenny and Serena and Jess. So um, it's awesome. All right. Well, I'm KJ Delantonia. I am the author of three novels, the most recent of which is Playing the Witch Card, which you should go and buy if you haven't. And I know not all of you have, so go right now. Just just turn this off. Go buy my book. Um, no, but it's, it's fun. Anyway, and also the nonfiction book, How to Be a Happier Parent, and also the former editor and lead writer of The Motherlode at The New York Times. So... You know, I, I feel like I've lived many a writery life at this point. You have. Dude, word. You have. <laughs> so I've gathered you here today to talk about this very important subject, which is, well, I'm calling it why we should take a plot walk, because that is what Serena and I do sometimes. But the real meat of this is that I wanted to dig into why we should be talking our plots over with someone before we take the time to turn them into an 80,000 word document. And Jenny and I have obviously talked about that in depth if you go back to the summer series about planning. But I, I feel like 
I personally kind of keep needing to hear that because it is so much easier to hide your plot all tucked away in your head where it sounds really glorious and you're convinced that it will work than it is to bust it out and tell someone about it. So let's talk about breaking through that barrier and why we should do it. Can you can yeah. you explain what a plot walk is? I'm so jealous. I see you guys put I hats, would like to on, hats on and... <laughs> and you go out in the cold, What what's a plot walk? Okay, so a plot walk requires that you live in the middle of nowhere, which we've got that covered, and that you have um, spikes you can put on your shoes in the winter because not even ice will stop us. I mean, we could, of course, go sit in a coffee shop, but there's only so much sitting around in coffee shops a girl can do during a week. So um, we go on these walks, and it's great exercise. So, and the dog likes it we start up this hill and pretty much huffing and puffing right away. And, and the other day I made a little post on Instagram after one of our walks where we did not discuss plot. And I said, Hey, writing tip of the week. If you're stuck on your book, go for a walk. You'll still be stuck, but at least you'll have gone for a walk. Follow me for more productivity tips. (laughs) And, (laughs) And then two days later, we went on another walk and we talked about my plot all the way up the hill and we talked about KJ's all the way down. And we have done it before. Like, yes, yes, yeah. we have. Like, it's totally fair game to get like 20 paces into this walk and be like, so I got this problem. <laughs> so first of all comes the part where you're actually explaining what the problem is. So when we did this the other day with KJ, she starts telling me the plot and a lot of it is review because I've heard a lot about this plot before. And, but she stops after 30 seconds and goes, Oh my God, it's so complicated. I can't even explain it. And yeah, hello. That was like the first big light bulb moment of the plot walk, right? Like she realized in trying to explain what was going on in her plot that maybe there were just a couple too many things going on. So then your helpful friend, in that case, I will play the part of a helpful friend, starts asking questions like, well, why do you need that thing? Why do you need that thing about the dad? Why do you need that thing about the thing? And then you have to answer these questions. And sometimes you it's possible to go, oh, wait, I don't. So I happen to know um, a thing about KJ, which is that she tends to like complicated she likes complicated plots and complicated scenes. And she, she likes the the tightly wound up, uh, you know, layered, interesting knots of a story. So do you do you like them, KJ? Like you were saying, when they're in your head, because they seem so logical and whole and, and polished. And then as soon as you say them that they're not, or do you... Like, what is the, what is, I'm trying to get at, what's the transfer from your head into words? Well, the, the, my personal part of this is, yes, I tend to overcomplicate. Jenny can be the witness to my overcomplicating of the, even the original draft of the Chicken Sisters, which was half again as long and, and involved a lot, even more intricate plotting on the parts of the protagonists, not just me. I think... I always feel like my characters need 46 reasons to do something. And for me, it's easier to give them plot reasons than it is to give them emotional reasons. So, And I have begun to be able to see this coming because I certainly did the same thing in, in her boots. 
I did it less in playing the witch card because in that book, the emotional plot was the driver. And I think I was more able to, to follow it. And actually, I kind of had to come out and add some plot stuff. So here I am with a new project. And the idea is that this is going to be a rom-com. And whether it is my next book or not, I cannot tell you at this point. But it's a thing I'm drafting right now. And in a rom romance, the emotion has to be the driver of the plot. And that was a thing I just really needed to be reminded of. Um, so that was what was going on uh, for me there, is that I was focusing more on the external plot than on the internal plot. And she needs me around to go, it has to be about the couple. It has to be about the couple. It has to be about the couple. Like you can't let that thing with the sister, you know, matter too much. So yeah, that's my role in, in this <laughs> in this drama is to say like, nope, it has to be about the couple. Yeah. And yeah, and I, I feel like on KJ's half of our plot walk we streamlined and that that felt that felt good and you know and I asked sometimes I'd push back on things like are you sure you want to do that because blah 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 she'd be like nope it's good I got it and it just when you have to defend yourself like defending your thesis it's just really you know really handy and one time I was listening to Becca Syme give a talk about being stuck and she said in p passing, you know, she here she was reeling off like all these fabulous ideas for what to do with you, when you get stuck. And she's like, and if you're a verbal processor, and I thought, <gasps> I'm a verbal processor. So I don't think I want to be a verbal processor. You know, I, I don't would... know if you have a choice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, I'm really resistant to this, to this process. And it's taken actually doing this with Serena multiple times in which my plot problem tends to be I have tangled myself up in knots. Her plot problems tend to be more like, okay, I've got these two people on the top of Mount Everest and I've taken away, you know, the, the Sherpas. Now what? Look, <laughs> look for me for, you know, more ideas on plotting your novels. But... <laughs> So then, so that just the fact that we could talk really, because when we started doing this, you had, Serena had written way more fiction than I had. So I would felt very self-conscious about talking about my people as though they were real and you were beyond that by that point. So to, to be able to hear you go, okay, so, you know, he's thrown her over his back and carried her into this burning building, but why would he carry her into the burning building? And then for me to go, well, all right, so maybe there's people outside that are worse than the fire inside, or maybe, I mean, incidentally, also not the actual plot piece we were talking to, but I, that was really helpful. So I feel like we did it a few times for you before I was like, okay. <laughs> In fact, I think I made you read something before we did it for me the first time but now i can just like throw it throw down but it is hard i'm like i don't wanna i just want it to work my way well it, <laughs> it strikes me that what serena asked you on this walk well it has to be about the couple it has to be about the couple it has to be about couple is about the genre you're writing in and and adhering to that and sticking to that which is another thing a plot 
has to do, right? It doesn't have mm-hmm. to just work in its own in its own universe. It, it has to work within a category that it's that book's going to fit in. And so the reason I bring that up is because you on your walk up the hill, the two of you happen to have two very accomplished writers that you get to bat things off of. Do you worry about people who don't have that? Like, what if you can you do this with a friend who is not who's not going to be able to say such a genre specific thing? That's such a great question. You know, because by now, all of us on this podcast have a really well developed vocabulary for discussing what happens in plots. But I once heard Kristen Higgins give a fun talk about plotting where she said sometimes she just calls her husband into her office and she talks at him for 25 minutes and he's like, but what about, and she's like, no, don't speak. (laughs) So it's, it's possible to verbal process without, you know, with, with your dog. But, um, but yeah, so some people like this game, even without the vocabulary, like my younger son will play this game with me if we're in the car and I'm like, Hey, tell us how that works. Well, he is very interested in narrative too, but from a completely different place. Like he loves films where people blow shit up. So you can play to your audience a little bit. And I can say to my 18 year old son, or even I could do this when he was 12, like I have this idea and here's the setup, but I don't know what happens next. And he liked the game enough to be able to just spitball with me. Not everybody is that person. But you do not have to have all the vocabulary and a, a grasp of the three act structure to to take a plot walk with somebody. And a lot of the time, what's important about this for me, I mean, it is great to be able to do it with Serena, but I also have lined up a kid and said, okay, just hold still while I, and it honestly doesn't necessarily even matter what the person says back. What matters is the accountability of having to try to lay it down because the the blobs that we see in our head when they actually have to have real words in a specific language attached to them that brings a kind of clarity that that blobby head thinking does not i i have had the experience of going on a plot walk which i didn't know that's what it was um years and years <laughs> ago with a friend who was 100% not a writer and had none of the vocabulary or anything and I wasn't trying to solve something I was excited and and telling her about this book that I was writing it was um the last beach bungalow about a breast cancer survivor who falls in love with a house and thinks it's going to make her feel safe and, and I was sort of going on and on about it. And this very smart friend of mine, who was a good listener, asked a question that was so spot on that I had not even thought about. It was a question along the lines of, well, what does that have to do with her having cancer? <laughs> and, I, and I, you know, it was like, it just made me have to rethink the whole thing. And I had made this huge leap of logic in my my own head and she was able to see it. So I I like the idea of knowing who you're talking to and and what kind of language they can speak and and what sort of plot walk this is. Is it a shorthand plot walk or is it I'm going to just bounce this off a a person who cares about me and is listening? And sometimes it can just be, I'm going to tell you the plot. You know, I'm going to tell you what my book is about. 
because that's hard to do at any stage for everyone. So to do it early is often for me to hone in on, okay, what is this about? Like, like it's like you said, well, what does that have to do with her having cancer? I mean, what does this have to do with them falling in love? Like what, to, to have to give somebody a couple sentences, somebody who's going to get bored at like, you know, minute three is really, right. I, I think that is also valuable. Yeah. Every time we do this, we're also, whether we un- recognize it or not, like honing our own pitch for this work. Like how long did it take me to explain why this is fun? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, longer than three minutes. We got a problem. I was going to yeah. say three minutes is very generous. Right? <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> I think 47 seconds is what they say is the average uh, attention span at the moment. So that's how long we spend on an app or something. I have no idea where I got that. But yeah. All right. So you have 47 seconds to tell and, you know, to some extent, sometimes people ask you what your book is about, and you're it's fair, it's fine to be like, well, I'd tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. Just because you don't want to, or you're not ready, or that person will not be respectful. So you don't always have to, but right. I feel like at least, uh, you know, early in the process, you should force yourself to tell somebody what this is about so that you can tell yourself what this is about. So I have a question well, about the, the specific plot walk you guys were on in the hill. When you get to the top of the hill, do you consciously say, okay, now it's your turn? Or does that organically happen? I don't know. I guess I'm sort of conscious of like carrying on a conversation for way too long. Or uh, honestly, actually, if you're truly plotting something, you get a to a point of overload where you can't actually like think about it anymore because you've just held all these opposing views of what could be the right decision in your head for minutes. And then you just get kind of like confused, even if you have solved something that usually happens. Yeah. And I wasn't necessarily, we, we, we had gone for a walk two days prior in which I probably was just as tangled up and I hadn't said anything. But because we started with Serena's plot, then I was like, okay, well, I have a problem too, but it's much less specific. Well, it's something Jenny said a minute ago, which is you have to be ready, or actually KJ said that. But um, but so let's recall also that last year I had an essentially a paid plot walk every week working on my thriller. So I had an editor who I, um, we were on Zoom and we were plotting this thriller every Tuesday at 11 a.m. for an hour and 15 minutes or something like that. And But the thing is, it's like you have to prepare for that. You know, like I had to go in with questions or we were just going to stare at each other on Zoom. So I had to mentally prep for that so hard that sometimes that was the most useful thing about it, depending. You know, there were moments when she gave me these brilliant little insights that I would run off and use but sometimes it was just that getting ready for it like you can sit there and say I'm stuck and I don't know what to do without making any headway or you can say I'm stuck and I'm having a call tomorrow at 11 a.m and I better find a way to explain what the heck my problem is or, or it's going to all be for nothing well, that comes back to the working with a book coach. So when Jenny and I have worked together, it has been the same. Um, 
you know, we did not work together on playing the witch card. Uh, we did on In Her Boots, but then I had to redo it, not because of the, but because there was a new editor. Um, so when I have that, it's it's been, yeah, yeah. When you have that sort of kind of um, date, it's it's fantastic. Well, it's accountability. Uh, you know, it's yeah. it's somebody is there that that you know is listening and that you know cares, whether that is a critique partner or a friend or you call your husband in or you're paying a book coach. It's all it's all the same. It's I'm holding myself accountable and I'm taking these words out of my head and putting them into the world to see how they land. But I have a question which may not be fair. I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you ever get sick of hearing about your friend's plot? If they <laughs> if they take the same question on a plot walk for a year, do you ever get sick of it? I think that's a question for Serena because I she only comes she hers are always very specific and she writes really fast. I don't think I'd have time to get sick of it. So from my perspective, no. <laughs> the other reason that I ask it is because I sometimes feel that as a book coach and I've identified when I feel it which is when that person doesn't feel like they're actually moving forward they mm -hmm. they keep coming up with another reason well what if it's this well what if it's that well what if it, it could be that well ooh, maybe I'll do that where they're not um settling they're into the story not settling like compromising set, resting or coming home to the story it's I feel them going around and around and around and around. And sometimes because I'm being paid, I can call them out on that and say, I sense that you're going around and around or that you're avoiding something or that you're procrastinating or there's something else behind this. But I feel like in a friendship, that's way harder to do. Well, maybe, except in fiction, we're all just constantly making choices and living with your choices is really hard so if i hope i would be a good enough friend to say okay you need to nail down this part or you're going to be here forever and i don't want that for you so either it's because there's something else wrong with the setup of your book that you can't make this choice or you are just feeling the pressure of how a choice narrows your options just like in real life you know so let's talk about why you're afraid to make that choice and how can we get you past this? Man, that's good. <laughs> she would really do that too. I'm uh, pretty yeah. sure she has said to me, you're doing it again over this, this <laughs> overcomplicating thing. Um, and I know, I mean, I, I happen to know. Yeah, so we, <laughs> we have the benefit of living close and having each other. Um, but I guess part of the reason I wanted to have this, to, to do this episode, is that we have been friends for a really long time. We have not been doing this for very long. So if you don't try, you know, if you don't ever line up somebody and say, could we just, you know, can we have a, a plot Zoom? Could we have, I, the plot walk is great because it's kind of like connecting with your teenager. You're not necessarily, you know, you're not sitting there staring at someone over a, a cup of coffee trying to explain, you know, why the fairies live underneath this tree and not underneath that tree. But if you gotta, you, you gotta try, you know, you can't form the kind of, 
relationship where you can say that stuff to each other if you don't take that first step and tell somebody your plot. And also, if you don't take that some, that first step and tell somebody your plot, the odds of it being a, you know, a steaming hot mess are kind of high. Yeah. I So I've been infringing on friends for this purpose for a really long time now, and I try to spread it out. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can remember in 2016 this evening where I'm walking on the treadmill and drinking a glass of wine and telling L. Kennedy the plot of Rookie Move you know, and, and I remember so specifically how she fixed me on that call. She was like, okay, so you've got the internal conflict all figured out. Now you've got to let the external world pull them apart. And I was like, I do, that is my problem. And, And then I went and fixed it. But you can't call the same friend every single time. (laughs) so you know you have to you have to move this stuff around and I have like there's maybe 10 people I've asked to do this and it also doesn't have to be perfectly matched like if you know any other writer friends the odds that you both have a plot problem on the same Tuesday are you know they're not great but um but you can say hey can we do this as uh, this time and then I'll owe you and then you know that person comes back and says hey can you talk this out with me? And it, it, it works. Writers, most of them recognize the, the utility of this exercise and are willing to give it a shot. And if you're not wanting to do this, that's probably a bad sign. Like, if, and I don't mean, I mean, maybe you like don't know the right person, or but if you don't want to tell someone your plot, there's a reason for that, and it is not a good reason, or at least if you're me. That is that is my experience, is if I don't want to explain this, and I don't mean, like, to your uncle at Thanksgiving, then probably I, I need to explain it so I can face why I don't want to explain it. But, KJ, you're not talking about, I'm afraid someone will steal my idea. That You're not no. talking about that. You're talking about, what is the fear, do you think? I'm afraid... I'm afraid it sucks. I'm afraid I'll sound stupid. I'm afraid I don't know how to explain it. And all of those things are possibly true. I just, it, and it isn't even, it's not, it doesn't, at least for me, it doesn't read as fear. It's, it's more like resistance. Like I just like, no, I don't want to. I don't need to do that. That sounds too hard. I won't enjoy that. That will be painful. And, um, you know, they'll give me dumb ideas that I won't use and then they'll be offended or something like that. I have all kinds of, of reasons, but and I don't know, maybe if you just can't get past that, yeah, you know, put it into a voice recorder and then try to listen to yourself say it. But oh my goodness, that sounds, that sounds really painful. I have actually, sometimes I will go for a walk by myself and I will use Otter, which is a voice recording app. And I will just talk about my plot because I need to nail down what happens next. And I will just explain myself. And usually I don't even need that recording at all. I don't even look, have to look back at the text, but I only do it because sometimes I find myself reeling off dialogue. Like, okay. And then he says that, and then she says this, and then, and I want to look back as a reference, but you can actually talk out your plot without another human being if you want to. Wait, this is so cool. You go on a walk and you put your phone like in a pocket near your mouth with uh the, with the otter on or you use airpods and that's amazing that you do that do you do you feel self-conscious well there's nobody around 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. That is, that I mean, is it, an advantage we have. We can easily walk without seeing anyone. Yes, I between here and where I walk, I might encounter a beaver, but not a human or a white-tailed deer. So, and I only record myself in case I reach a some figure out something with any complexity that I want to remember the order of it or be, that I thought of how the dialogue works into that scenario. But if those things don't happen, then I just wouldn't bother looking at it. Solo plot walk. Yeah. It can be done. Yeah. I did this uh, last summer or two summers ago with a short story. Like, I am not good at writing short stories, but I had, I had said that I would and I knew which character I was going to use, it, like a little bonus thing for my series. And I'm like, all right, in the next 20 minutes, you know, next 40 minutes, we're going to walk two miles up that hill and I'm going to figure out what the heck the short story is about. And I did it. I love that. I love that. Do you guys think that the walking contributes? Like you talked about not doing this in a coffee shop. I I think there is something to the walking. Like KJ said, you're not looking at each other's faces. But, but do you think the actual moving through space part or exercise part is helpful? I think it kind of frees my head. I can I can do the part where you have enforced thinking or talking out loud if I'm alone in the car and I turn the radio off. And, but I have to be like, okay, between here and New London, I am going to think of, you know, I'm going to figure out the following problem and then I can listen to my podcast and drive the rest of the way to Boston. Like I, I have to make it very, so I think it's, it's the having your body do a thing that is so familiar physically that your mind doesn't have to think about it, but your body is occupied. That helps me. It also gets you away from your laptop. I mean, mm. if I'm b by myself and I'm sitting in front of my document and I don't know what happens next, like that's really stressful. But if I'm doing something else and thinking about it, then that is not stressful. Like it's really hard to be stressed out when you're walking through a meadow. <laughs> I have been known to take a notebook to a coffee shop and sort of do a similar thing silently. And the result genuinely looks like, wait, what if instead of him being a truck driver, you know, he had a bus and then she could ride the bus and then that would, and it, it genuinely, and then it's like, no, no, not a bus, an airplane. Like the words, no, no, not a bus, an airplane would be written in, and I, similarly to you and your otter, I almost never go back and look at that stuff. Unless, same thing, unless I get going on the, on the dialogue and then I try to switch into something where I can keep it. But I can, um, you can actually take a picture of that dialogue and Apple has things that will turn your picture into, or Evernote, I think, has a thing that'll turn your picture. I mean, they're not great words, but, you they know, They both then, do, but neither yeah. one works very well. They are, they're improving all the time. The Evernote one is, is just, it's, it's steadily getting better and better. So, you know, I mean, that would just be a thing. That, that you could do, but 99% of what goes in that notebook is not worthy of Evernote's attention. I often think that some of the best writing work is done not sitting at the keyboard and the computer, whether you're driving or you're in the shower, or you're going on a walk or you're doing something else and something pops into your head. It, it's that idea that 
writing writing is not just hands on keyboard in front of a, a computer screen. It's it's thinking and processing, and that's what you guys are talking about. And um, what a lovely thing to do where you're walking up and down a big hill together. It's really cool. All right, so everybody go and find a hill, <laughs> solve a plot problem, and then write us, tell us you did it, or you know, find a friend, um, or I don't know, find find your dog, or get a, get a riding coach. Just do do something to get this thing out into the open where you can, you know, put some water in it and see the holes. Okay. That was, this was good. I hope this was really useful for everyone. Um, have you guys read anything lately that is worthy of note? Jenny, have you read anything worthy of note lately? Have I read anything worthy of note? I've read many things. Are they worthy of note? Okay, I will, I'll, while you think about it, I've been killing it on the Mistborn series, which is the series that Brandon Sanderson is, I think, he calls it his calling card. And I can see why. It is akin, is genuinely, in the realm of fantasy, it is akin to The Lord of the Rings. And I think that a lot of people who are out there reading um, A Court of Thorn and Roses or uh, the Rebecca Yarrow's Fire and Iron, I don't remember the name of it. Um, any of any of those, you really, I think those people often feel like, well, I only like this kind of, of fantasy. Like, I only like the things that are really trendy and maybe they, they have a more um, feminine approach because the authors are women. Uh, the Mistborn series has a female protagonist as well as male protagonists and as well as sort of people who are not necessarily the gender. The gender of the creature is not important. And it is so stupendously well done, y'all, that there is a reason why, Bre why Brendan Sanderson got... Uh, the most money on on Kickstarter ever to write uh, a bunch more books. And that is sort of part of why I went and was like, I want to, what is he most well known for? Let me see it. So anyway, highly recommend at least the first two books and the first 50 pages of the third book of the Mistborn series, because I have not finished it. But I, I mean, dude's on like book number 40 something at this point. I got, I got faith that this is going to nail the landing. So that's what I got. I also read a, another romance, too, because I was like, I need to go and read romances. I need to go and read things that are all about the couple. So I read Tessa Bailey's um, Wreck the Halls, which is a hysterical premise. It's uh, two children of a broken up um, famous duo of women rock stars trying to get them back together for a reunion. And it is basically a very simple story super uh, emotionally charged and a lot of sex. And, you know, it, it was it is very enjoyable, but it is so fun. I mean, there's there's a plot like that external thing is a, it's a thing and it's a driver and it's and it's big and it's happening and there's a reality TV show and it's all really fun. But their connection and their emotion is at the core of it. So it's a good thing to read. And I now have like a whole stack of other sort of um people who really know what they're doing in rom-com because I've already read almost all of Serena's books. So I can't, I can't just rely on that. Sorry. Well, and when you find a romance where the person has blended the internal and external conflicts really well, it's, you know, then you're like, ah, yes, yes, yes. I am reading The Intern by Michelle Campbell, which is a novel of suspense about a, a law student and a judge and um, 
I had noted that it was something I wanted to read. And then I was talking to one of my favorite narrators, Sarah Malo Christensen. And she said, we were talking about thrillers. And I said, oh, I like this thing over here. And she said, oh, wait, try The Intern. I narrated it and I thought it was just great and really character driven. So I'm enjoying it very much. Well, I will share a book. This doesn't happen very often, but I, um, I decided I was not going to read a book after a few chapters that I didn't like it. It wasn't for me. And it's the Rick Rubin book, The Creative Act, which has been on the bestseller list and sat there for many, many, many moons now. Can we just pause and say that I did the same thing and then I started to give it away and then I kept it because so many people have loved it and somebody said it was the first third that was kind of, and so I kept it, but I haven't gotten back into it. So anyway, just just timing out to say, yeah, I, I agree and I might give it another chance. It is still sitting here. It is not in my little free library. Denizens of my little free library. Sorry, it might show up later. Um, but yeah. Okay, yeah, same I, I, um, I listened to a podcast with Debbie Millman on uh, Design Matters is her podcast. She's brilliant. And she interviewed Rick Rubin. And I was like, this guy is great. And the things he's talking about are great. Why did I dismiss his book? I'm going to go back and give it another try. And I I am really happy that I did. So that is an interesting uh, experience that doesn't happen very often. But the book is is pretty profound. And that podcast with Debbie Millman is really worth listening to. Wow. So I time added you just so that you could then say, well, I'm this, that's what I'm doing. I'm going back to it. So yeah, I still have it. I guess I should go back to it. I just looked it up, you know, because of course, if you guys tell me it's interesting that I need to know. And I'm just curious what the cover is supposed to be because I see a boob. Oh, it's really it's interesting record. that you should say that because they have this conversation actually on the podcast. And some people do see that some people see a target, some people see an eye. I think it was meant to be people see different things. Or a okay. universe, maybe I'll have to I'll have to go back and see because they had this exact conversation. I did, the covers. Yeah, strange. I agree. I think it's strange. But um, yeah, it's just interesting when a, when a book is doing so well, and you didn't like it. It's it's, you know, you, you sometimes think what did I miss? And maybe you just didn't like it. But anyway, that's, uh, that's the book. Well, it's one of those like, lots of white space. Here is a chunk of advice, lots of white space. Here is a cliche put into my words, lots of, which is, you know, the, the classic Stephen Pressman, the art of war, the war of art um, method. And, oh, and I like the war of art, but, you know, some part of me is often like, you know, there are only some people who can get away with this much white space. And <laughs> I think we all know what they look like. And he has one of them. So, but yeah, so many people that I really respect have actually said what you said, which is, well, it, it is a lot of white space and then cliche expressed differently, but also there are these nuggets. So I feel like I should go back in and, and, and look for the nuggets and then I will, I will share it, Serena. So you do not have to, um, it is an expensive hardback, not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty, I'm looking felt forward. a little resentful about about that particular purchase, which made me kind of wonder. I mean, it's also it it's a good gift book. I don't know. 
you always wonder if people are really reading the thing. But you really read it. So I'm working on it. Okay. All right. Well, I will I will work on it too. We will we will resume. We will we will discuss. Okay. Um this was great. As always, you can find all of Serena's books and the ways to follow her and all of the other things at serenabowen.com. Jenny Nash is best pursued. Where would you say, Jenny? I have a new Substack at jennynash.substack.com that's been really fun and I would love for you to follow me there. I also have a, stamp, a Substack. It is called Am Reading. It is free. It is fun. It is all my book recs. Um, it definitely has included the Mistborn trilogy multiple times, although not wreck the halls yet. And the best place to follow me is also Instagram. But what you should really do for all of us is just, you know, go, go buy a book that we wrote because that is a great way of showing your support. And you should absolutely follow the podcast in the show notes, which can be found at amwritingpodcast.com. Sometimes we send out things that are only in the show notes, so you'll only get those that way. And if you want to throw in some financial support, you can do that in that same space. We are appreciative, but the podcast will remain free. That's it. All right. I'm going to take us out. Until next week, kids, keep your butt in the chair and your head in the game. The Hashtag AmWriting podcast is produced by Andrew Perella. Our intro music, aptly titled Unemployed Monday, was written and played by Max Cohen. Andrew and Max were paid for their time and their creative output because everyone deserves to be paid for their work. Oh.